Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just you forgot to enter. Uh, cruising down Pasadena on a highway. Driving to Slauson, had niggas looking sideways. Think when I had Brooklyn lit up on a Friday. Cool kicks LA, but the telly Pasadena. Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast. And I'm back with the final, very final ultra marathon training podcast. We are four days after the 100 mile ultra marathon at the Coldwater Rumble. And I got a lot to discuss. And we're also releasing a video. I'm editing one right now. Hopefully by Sunday, that's going to give you guys a, a better concept of what the race was actually like. But I figured I'd record a podcast because I can get way more information into the podcast for anyone who's like interested in the ultra marathon world, want to know what in a hundred mile race is like. And I can just give you guys more information than you'll see in the videos. So with that being said, man, um, whoa, what the fuck? What the fuck? Um, I'm not taking the accomplishment lightly. Like I'm, I'm fully aware it's a pretty wild thing to do in someone's life to go run a hundred miles. And weirdly, it just feels very relative to me because as you guys know, we like set a goal five, six months ago to go do this. And then we just, we went out and did it. Um, and with that being said, I just, I try to be sparing with inspiration because I'm still figuring shit out myself and I'm still, I still have goals and I don't have everything totally understood, but I just want to tell you guys from my perspective where I'm coming from. I have never been a good athlete in my life ever. Like you can ask anyone growing up. I was always severely out of shape. I wouldn't say fat, but just like not strong, not athletic. I was always slow. Um, I was literally in high school. I literally picked up the T after the kicker kicked off and the crowds would ch- chant hallway hallway for me to go pick up the tee. So I was literally like the lowest man on the totem pole in the football program. Um, and here I just ran a hundred miles. And so I just wanted to be known that literally anybody can actually go do that. And I know it's easier said than done, but I have don't I literally don't have an athletic bone in my body. I don't. But the thing about endurance sports is it's much more about your mental skill set and like slowly progressing to a goal than it is about natural athleticism. If you were guys were at the race, you'd be like, wow, there's some people here who don't look like they're in shape. Like there were some fat dudes there who are finishing the 100. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm this is not even a sh- like I'm not trying to sound insensitive either. There was a kid with autism who finished like six hours before me. I'm not even joking. Dude finished in like 26 hours. It's all over the Air Viper page. You can look it up. Um, but yeah, I just want it to be known that like literally it's very possible for people who aren't necessarily athletic or who have never been to go do something like this. And I just want my case to be indicative of that. Now – segwaying here with the podcast, I'm just going to try to cover as much information as possible from pre-race to finishing the race and then what happened after the race. And I'm just going to try to be chronological. I'm going to try to be as focused as possible, but 
let me just start off by saying it was fucking insane. The race was fucking crazy. There was no way you can physically prepare for something like that. It was fucking war. It was one of the most, ins- I, it was definitely the most insane experience of my life physically. It was just crazy. It was just 31 hours of nonstop fucking intensity. It was just all in my own head for 31 hours on how to keep the train moving, no matter the circumstance. And it got so unbelievably hard, like so hard, hard to the point with every step and stride, I felt like my feet were breaking. I felt like there was something going on with me internally, so fucked up. And it was just so unbelievably demanding. Focus-wise, it really, people talk about it, but it got to the point for me focus-wise where it was literally a step-by-step process. And that wasn't just like the last two miles. That was starting for me around like 54, 55 miles where I had to be incredibly calculated with every stride. And there was just, it was just everything. It took everything, literally everything and then more. And I'm so glad I went through it. And it would it was very possible I was not going to make that cutoff at certain points, I felt. And uh, yeah, we'll just get into it. So pre-race, you know, you guys can go spin back the old podcast. Pre-race, my taper plan worked. So the way I cut down on mileage, everything worked that I had documented on that Bochi Bolt page. And then what I had talked about in the previous podcast, my legs felt 100% fresh when I started. Like there were no real pains. My legs felt like a hundred and I was like, okay, my body is a hundred percent ready for this. But I was having insane GI issues and stomach issues about two weeks before the race when I was in Florida and then in Arizona. I would, I was just incredibly bloated. Everything I'd eat would blow my stomach up and I'd get, sorry to just be frank here, I'd get super constipated and it made me super nervous because I was like, I, I cannot have a non-functional stomach, you know, maybe for like a 10K race, but for a day and a half, I need a functional stomach. And so my stomach was going crazy and I was trying to just eat bland foods before the race, sweet potato, chicken, nothing crazy. And it just wasn't getting better. So the day before the race, I had Miralax and then I had a Dolcalax suppository and it worked, cleared my system out completely, literally like three hours before the race started, my stomach felt good for the first time in two weeks. So it was an absolute blessing. The night before the race, I did do two shots of NyQuil. I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, yo, I'm going to need this sleep. So I took another shot of NyQuil. So I took three shots of NyQuil before the night. And then I woke up feeling excited and I got about six to seven hours of sleep before a race and a race like that. It's like all you can ask for. So Essentially, I was when showing up to the start line, I was as ready as I was going to be. Physically, the training, stomach, body was ready. So, the race started in a national park and uh just slowly I've just been peeling back memories of this race because it felt so long, but it also felt like it happened so fast. And so, I kind of blacked out for points of it. And so, I'm just peeling back some of the memories. So, the course 
was fucking brutal. Absolutely brutal. Easily, easily over 10,000 feet of elevation gain, if not 12,000 feet of elevation gain. And online, it was marketed that was 7,400 feet. It was way more than that. The way the course worked is there was the base camp and then like a quarter mile out of the base camp, you start with this brutal climb over this mountain. Then you get to a more moderate section after you get over the mountain. Then you work your way to the next mountain. You climb that and then you get to a a bigger moderate section. So there were like two big climbs and you had hit the front and back of that on each course. And that was kind of how I ended up breaking up the course. I was calling that first hill Mount Doom and the second hill the Tower of Terror. And there were four just big, big climbs. And so in my mind mentally, that's how I was breaking up the races. I was like, okay, how many of those big climbs have I hit? And it was a washing machine course, which means I would run from point A to point B to point A. Wait, no, that was going to sound brain dead. Anyway, so you'd run in a circle and then you run counterclockwise, if that makes sense. So you hit the backside of those hills too. So laps two and four was the same loop. Laps one, three, and five was the same loop. In the laps, two and four climbs were so much harder than the one, three, fives. The back of those hills were fucking crazy. And you can ask D, and I'll talk about D in a second, but the end of that fourth lap, those two climbs, it must have been like a 25% slope, huge, incredibly technical rock terrain. And the that was the thing. The surface was never really packed. It was just all beaten rocks the whole time. And it was just you had to watch every step because it was easy to roll an ankle. It was easy to kick a rock. And when I got to that point of real desperation, kicking a rock would throw me off so much. And so again, there were the four big climbs. There was what I called Mount Doom and then the Tower of Terror. And Mount Doom was much harder and much more steep than the Tower of Terror, but the Tower of Terror was pretty tough too. And then in the more moderate sections there were these dried out riverbeds and we would have to run up the slopes of these riverbeds and there were these really quick declines and these quick inclines. So it was really hard to ever get in any sort of real rhythm. There was just a ton of hiking. And um, one thing I will say though, course wise is the fact that there were five loops was actually a big benefit because it helped me break it up mentally. Because every 20 miles, I knew I was going to be back at the base camp and my mom, Matt, Jack, and Dee were going to be there. And emotionally, it was so important for me to have a team. Can't explain it to you guys. Like I, There were some guys out there that were doing this alone, no team, no one aiding them. I could not have done that. I honestly could not have. It was just... It was what I was looking forward to every lap. Like, okay, 20, I'm going to be with my team. 20, I'm going to be with my team. 20, I'm going to be with my team. 20, I'm going to get a boost, you know? And so finishing those laps was huge because you just feel like, okay, I just bit off a big, big chunk. Um, Now, laps one and two 
we start suns down, sun rises, and I got into a rhythm with my nutrition right away. After the first hour was done, I started eating calories and electrolytes every 30 minutes. So I was doing water and then a mix of a, a body armor or Gatorade and then some sort of 100 to 200 calories every 30 minutes. And I was super consistent with that. It was easy because I was just like, okay, if my watch is at 30, we're going to eat. If my watch is at zero, we're going to eat. And that was an important rhythm to set. And I felt like I was super consistent with that. And it was easy. And yeah, I was consistently drinking water, consistently drinking electrolytes. Now, I noticed on lap two how tough those climbs were. But essentially, laps one and two, I was just trying to get into a rhythm. So lap one, I finished strong. I finished in about four hours and that was kind of my goal. I was like, okay, first one, four hours, second one, five hours. And that's what we did. Essentially, I felt really strong after the first lap as I should have. And then after the second lap, I was like, okay, I still feel solid. You know, I haven't had any real low points and I'm 40 miles down, but I know this third lap is where it's going to start getting weird because the sun was up for pretty much all of the first lap all of the second lap. And then I knew the sun was going down on the third lap. And I was kind of just getting a feel for, I was getting a feel for the, uh, the course. And then also in those two laps, I, I was able to run with a bunch of people and talk with a bunch of people, which actually helps break it up pretty well. There was a section where I ran with this girl for about three or four miles and we were just talking and kind of just eating some miles together, which was good. Um, now on the first lap, my heels started to fall apart immediately. There was some problem with my sock chafing and my chafing against my shoe. And I knew early on, okay, my heel is going to be a problem. I finished up lap one. I had them tape it up. You could see a blister was forming, but it literally did nothing. My heels were in insane pain after lap one for pretty much the whole race. And if you guys saw my heels now, you'd be like, okay, it makes sense. I don't have any skin on the back of my heels right now. It was completely stripped away. Now, I ran probably 80% of lap one. I hiked all the big climbs. I was super conservative. I probably ran about 60% of lap two, hiked most of the climbs, and just kind of got myself in a rhythm. And then lap three, probably I'd say I ran about 30%, and then lap four, maybe 5%, lap five, 0%. Now, weather for laps one and two was great. It was kind of cold, sun comes up, very moderate, say about 60, 70 degrees. I was wearing a t-shirt at for lap two and I felt good. But the thing is the desert was so dry, incredibly dry. And I've never trained in a dry climate. So like it just, it sucks the moisture out of you, but you don't sweat. So you're like, wait, I might, I, you know, I probably have plenty of fluid in me. I feel fine, but it's actually kind of just like a, an illusion. Like the desert sucks all the moisture out of you and you don't even know what's happening. So even though I was really on top of my hydration, we'll talk about it. I ended up being severely, severely dehydrated, critically dehydrated by the end of the race. Now we'll talk about laps three, four, and five, but again, the weather was nice for one and two. And then laps three, four, and five, it was a totally different story. Now, lap three starts. I leave the base camp. 
in good spirits. And then I'd say around mile 42, I started to feel it. And I was like, okay, my feet really hurt and I'm tired. You know, I've been running for, I don't know what, 10 hours. Okay, I'm tired. And then mentally, there were these checkpoints that I wanted to get to. And I was like, okay, if I get to 50, that's a big deal. If I get to 53, that's a big deal because that'd be a PR for me. But I'd say around 42 is where I started being like, all right, this is legit now. We've done a lot of climbing today. Um, But lap three, it got dark and it got cold. And I started getting mad lonely. And this is where emotionally and mentally just having checkpoints were so important. Like I knew I had to get to mile 60 because then D was going to be joining me, my pacer. And I found D. I mean, that was like my big thing. Like, all right, Connor, you just, you got to thug it out, get to 50, then you're halfway. Now you're going downhill after halfway and then get to 53. Then that's a PR. But mile, I mean, lap three, emotionally, I was like, all right, this is starting to take a toll. Like this is really starting to get hard. And I was just tricking myself to get through the checkpoints, but it got dark and it got cold. And I was leaving this aid station, Peterson aid station, and it got mad, windy, headwind in the desert, dry wind. And it just punched me in the throat. I felt like I couldn't get any momentum running. I felt like it was step by step. And it was just starting to get really hard on that third lap. And by this time, I'm just like, all right, just keep it moving. Get to 60. Just get to 60. You'll find D at 60. It's a totally different race. You're going to have someone out here with you. I know it's, it's tough. It's low. So I came in on the third lap feeling like, okay, we got some – it's demon time now. <laughs> like, it's time. It's going to start getting wild. D joins me, and I'm thinking there were all these false – like motivators that I thought were going to motivate me and didn't. So I thought picking up D was going to give me this huge burst. And for the first mile or two, it did. But then by mile 66 was the real low point. 66 was brutal. 66, D and I were climbing this hill and I started just bawling my eyes out, like just emotionally torn. Like I can't believe I have like 33 miles left and I can't even every step's hurting right now and I know it's going to be even slower and I don't even know if I'm going to make it I'm thinking about the time like I don't even know if I'm going to make it like imagine if I came out here and I don't finish and it's not even worth it like that's insane now picking up D though was the most important thing of the race and I cannot describe to you guys enough that I could not done this without D and Jack, and my mom, and Matt. I literally could not have done that alone without D. He was in massive emotional support. Like, just, you know, he fucked up a little bit at the start, and he'll tell you, he started, like, walking, like, thousands of feet ahead of me, and I'm like, bro, get the fuck back here, bro. I'm fucking lonely. He's like, all right, sorry, sorry, my fault, my fault, sorry. But... I legitimately could not have done it without him. I would have just like faded away in the desert without him. But he mentally, one, when he started running behind me and I set the pace, it just felt like I was moving with a team. And there were times, millions of times, where he'd grab my bag 
and he'd pick up the nutrition and there were times where he told me I had to eat. There were times where he told me I had to drink and he would just be like, all right, Connor, keep pushing. We're at this checkpoint. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I literally could not have done it without him and I owe him the world, truly. So lap three is done. We're on lap four now and the 66 was really tough. And then I pulled out of it. So I'd say it was three miles of really low. D and I kind of get up this climb and I pull out of it. And so then I realized this was, I was doing all this research on ultras. That's what it's about when it gets hard. It's you reach low points and then they end. And so I'd say it was three miles of feeling just so depressed, low, painful. This is never going to end. And then by mile like 68, I was out of it. But then around mile 72 again, we hit another climb and I hit another low point. And now I'm real low. And so there's a second low that comes on and I'm really depressed and I'm nearly crying and I'm fucking pissed off and I'm screaming and Dee's trying to just keep me together. And then we get to mile, I want to say like 74 and I'm running the math in my head and I'm like, yo, Connor, if you keep this pace up, you are not going to finish this race on time. It's like 74. I was like, you're not going to make it. I, I was doing the math. There wasn't enough buffer room. And so we hit this fucking beast mode stretch, 74 to like, I don't know, 77, 78, where we were just clipping miles. We were pissed off. D had just fallen in a cactus. He was running with his shirt off at a point screaming, saying this is what our ancestors would do. I'm not even joking. And there was this four mile stretch where it was just like, all right, fucking beast mode. Let's get it. And we were clipping like 14, 15 minute miles. And it was just head down, left, right, left, right, left, right. And at that point, I'm like, okay, we're buying back time. We're buying back time. I know like I got to keep up like a 28 minute mile to make this thing. Every mile that's below 28 minutes, we're buying back time. So that four mile stretch for me mentally was huge. Cause so we hit like 77, 78 miles and we're me and D's we're about to hit that final vicious climb. And I'm like, all right, D listen, we need to leave this aid station. When we get back to headquarters, we're going to try to be comfortable and it's going to be like, we're not going to want to get up, but we have to leave by 6am because then we'll have a lot of time to finish this last lap. We'll have nine hours to finish this last lap. And I think we'd probably just finish this last one in like 715. So if we have nine hours to do 20 miles, I think we can do it. So that's what we did. And I'm telling you that four mile stretch there was fucking critical mentally. So we get into 80. We sit down. And when I sit down, I'm like, something is fucked up going on in my body. I just, I would jackhammering freezing. I just, everything hurt. And I couldn't like, I couldn't control my muscles, muscle spasming. And I just felt this like deep, deep fatigue. And I'm literally jackhammering cold. Like you guys can't see me. I look brain dead here, but just freezing cold. So anyway, it took everything to be like, all right, listen, we got to get up at six. We got to get up out of this aid station at six and we got to go. And so D and I get up. We leave the aid station and I'm like, wait, this is the last time I'm going to have to do this. This is fucking awesome. This is awesome. I feel like ass. This is fucking awesome. 
And when we leave, we're getting this applause because everyone knows it's our last lap. And I'm like, this is great. So D and I have to go hit that first hill. We hit that first hill. And at mile 82, I'm in like honestly really good spirits. I'm like, yo, 18 miles left. That's it. Like we got this. But it was a f- it was fake. Our big next like goal was let's watch the sunrise and the sun rises and I'm like, you know, this is going to make me feel way better because I have a friend who's in the military who's like, trust me, he's done all these hikes in the night. He's like, when you see the sunrise, it's going to be a big deal. I saw the sunrise. I felt literally nothing. And I was like, what the fuck? We have 17 miles left. That is so long. I, I, I can't even move right now. This is insane. And then we hit the aid station at like 84 and I was like, yeah, that's going to feel good. But it just never felt good because I knew how slow I was moving and I was like, it's just fucking agony. (laughs) It never ends. So we're moving slow. It's at 84 and the next aid station's at like 91. There's this big stretch and I knew this was going to be a really hard stretch and I knew mentally we had to get there by... 10 30 safely to finish the race on time and i was trying with everything i had to move as fast as i could and make momentum to get there by 90 because i was like at 90 if we have four hours to go 10 miles we'll be okay or four and a half hours to go 10 miles we're gonna be all right and it was so hard that six, seven mile stretch. It was just, there was nothing left. Just, I felt like I, like, I felt like there was literally no energy. And just the most miraculous thing happened. You know, I'm out there with D and you just start digging in mentally. You just start like kind of running back your past and like thinking about hard times that you've been through and thinking about all the training you've done and thinking about just, you just get to think about life because all you're doing is you're just fucking in pain in the middle of this damn desert. And I just start thinking about certain things and you just pull energy from it. And it was this weird, miraculous feeling where I'm like, yo, dude, like no matter how much pain you're in, like, and how hard things are, you always have more that you don't even know about. There's always more. And it was just this very powerful thing that clicked in my head on this stretch where I was like, just there's always more. And it was just insane. And so I got this little mental kick where I was like, let me just start thinking of bad shit that's happened. And I started just fucking moving. And this was a big thing on this lap. I knew that if I sat down, I was going to be done for. I was not going to get up and something bad was going to happen. And so D and I had this strategy. I was like, D, for the next seven or eight hours, I am not going to sit down. And I'm going to keep going left, right, left, right, left, right, no matter what. And I'm going to need you to do me a favor. And you need to go to the aid stations, fill my water up, and get us electrolytes. And he just fucking thugged it out, man. Carried my bag to the station. I never stopped at the station. All these other people stopped. It worked for other people to stop and like reboot and then go. But I just walked right through the stations and we just kept it moving that whole lap. D would come back with my bag. We restrapped up after 90 and um, 
I was like, these last 10 miles are going to be nuts. And that they were. So I had mentioned that there were all these, that the, it was so dry. Like it was so dry in the desert that I, I started turning delusionally, and this is in hindsight, delusionally dehydrated. I couldn't see straight. I couldn't, I felt so wobbly. I felt like I didn't have even control of my, my stride because I was so dehydrated, even though I had been drinking consistently with electrolytes like I was supposed to, because I wasn't sweating, but I didn't know that. And so I just reached really a medically terrible place around 91, like really like, dude, you're on the verge of dying. And D will attest. He's going to be like, dude, this dude was fucking like just in the worst place ever. And so we just kept it moving. I kept telling D like, yo, I think I'm dying. Like, I really think I'm dying. I might be dying. And he was like, well, dude, we're going to get there. Just keep going. If we keep moving, we'll get there. If we keep moving, we'll get there. So we did. And um, there was this climb, just fucking brutal. Everything's hurting. Just, just nothing left, dude. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. Just imagine having nothing left but still going. So we had this climb, and this is in the video. We had this climb up mile 96, which we call God's Thumb. And I was like, okay, when I see that last aid station, I'm going to feel such a boost because, you know, I'm only going to have three and a half miles left. And essentially we're going to have time-wise, we're like, okay, we're, we're doing okay. We're going to have like, we're going to have like two and a half hours to get the last four or five miles done. So I, we did the same thing. I didn't stop at the aid station. We kept moving and I thought I was going to be like, feel graceful. Like, oh, only four miles left. Let's go. It's over. But it was the opposite. I fell even deeper into this fucking hole and it just never got easier, man. It really never got easier. It was just so relentlessly hard. Like the whole time it got, and it started getting really hot, very hot around this time. And I had night layers on. So I had like a vest on and a long sleeve. Luckily D took it, but I got super hot and my heart rate started getting out of control and I just felt like just nothing. We started getting passed a lot now too. And other people were finishing much stronger than I was. And I was like, D just stupidly. Oh, one thing I didn't mention is on our fourth lap, we thought we got lost and that would have been fucked, but we, we ended up seeing someone come our way and that would have been really bad. Um, now on that last lap, D's like, yo, we got to go. I'm like, bro, what do you want me to fucking sprint? Like, dude, what do you want from me? Anyway, and we saw this guy. This is another side story, but there was a bunch of mountain bikers out there and there was this group of mountain bikers ahead of us. And I was like, get out of the way, please. And they kind of all just like bike ahead. And then one guy comes back our way with his bike and he doesn't go with the group and embarrassed. He's like, I brought my mechanical. And we were like, so what he was trying to say is like, that's why I'm not going with the group is because I brought my mechanical bike. And me and D look at this guy like, bro, we don't give a fuck, man. Like what the fuck? Like, dude, we're going to fucking pass away. Are you serious? Guy's like, Oh yeah. Anyway, we back to mile 96. I just wanted to get that in there because it was hilarious. Back to mile 96, 
I stupidly told D at the the last aid station not to get water and that we wouldn't need it because I was like, well, there's only like a couple miles left where I can need it. We needed it so bad because those last miles took us like 30 minutes a piece. And I got so bent out of shape hydration wise on those last couple miles. We had like literally virtually no water. We had these huge climbs and it was really bad. Like inside, I'm like, Connor, this is actually how people die. So anyway, we, I thugged out this one climb. I went beast mode. I, I put on Jay-Z. What more can I say? And I was like, ah! Full Super Saiyan, like, let's fucking go. Kept moving, climbed, and I, I felt like I had all this momentum to finish the race, but we kept seeing false peaks. We kept thinking we were going to round a corner, and there was the aid station. We are going to round a corner, and there was the aid station. It never came. And I was like, dude, I just don't think this is ever going to end. <sighs> Eventually, we finally get back to the pavement. Dee and I touch the pavement, and we're like, oh, my God. This is almost over. We keep it moving through the final. And if you guys have me on Instagram, you saw that. And we just keep it moving. This fucking shorty try to pull up on us at the end. We're like, well, what are you doing? We're not trying to race no one out here. We're just trying to not die. And um, we finish. And it was just this insane, for I'd say maybe 10 seconds, this incredibly blissful moment like yo dude i really just felt like i just went to war with myself and um i'm so grateful to feel that like and i'm so grateful i finished in time we 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 essentially we finished with an hour cushion and uh that lasted about 15 seconds tops not even joking because then i sat down And as soon as I sat down, what I was holding in me from like miles 75 or 80 happened. I sat down. I felt like I needed to sleep. I closed my eyes and I knew, okay, it's over. Pass out. Completely pass out. From what everyone told me is I passed out and I was convulsing and my eyes were rolling into the back of my head. And these, all these videos are in the, um, all these videos are in the uh, going to be in the video edit, but I pass out and I remember the guy was like trying to cut my socks off and just nothing left. I knew everyone was there and I just I remember they were trying to like kind of give me hydration. And next thing I knew, I woke up and I'm looking up at a bunch of medics and I'm laying on the ground and I'm like, oh, God. Then more medics come. I get it on a stretcher we go to the hospital all this stuff is going to be in the video so you'll be able to see this and we get to the hospital and i'm peeing brown and orange and my feet i have never felt worse pain in my life like the my feet were if you just if you touched my kneecap my feet would feel a level 10 pain and um the doctor comes over and he goes, yep, well, so we just tested you. We got a bunch of IVs in you for magnesium and saline and other stuff. And we actually just jacked you up with some fentanyl because that's the pain reliever they give out is actually fentanyl. I guess it's legal. And uh, he was like, yep, so you have rhabdomyolosis. I don't think he said it like that. I think he said you have rhabdo. I'd heard it on a podcast once of someone getting rhabdo. Now – 
my mom's obviously freaking out and I'm grateful she was there, but it's essentially what rhabdo is, is it's a, it's a condition where you break down so much skeletal muscle tissue that your kidney can't flush it out and you can get all sorts of fucked up from it. So luckily I had a pretty minor case of it. You know, my levels were just way too high and I was just running the risk of getting in serious trouble. So I just got hit with a gazillion IVs and I had to flush everything out of my system with drinking tons and tons and tons and tons of water and electrolytes. And now here I am four or five days later and I'm feeling okay and I'm still doing the same thing. But that was pretty much what happened. Um, And I'll have the rhabdo for a while, so I can't do any real intense training for a while, but I did get a little lift in today. Now, that's essentially the punctuation here. And the next day, insane pain. If you have me on Instagram, you probably saw it. Now, now let's just talk about now. After 100 miles. And um, I just want to share this story because I, I genuinely think that anybody can do that. I do. It's, it's all mental. It is. You know, most things in life are mental. And um, there was never a real time where I thought I wasn't going to finish 100 miles. I didn't, I, there were times where I didn't fin- think I was going to get in the cutoff. But there was never a time where I was like, I won't finish 100 miles because I felt like I bet on myself. And I just really implore everyone to set big goals. Because no matter what the goals you set in your life you're going to play to the level of your goals. So I could have set doing another marathon and I would have gotten a marathon done. But, or I could have set, kept making skits forever on Coach Connie and I would have never made a movie. But if you set a real ridiculous goal and you write it down, you'll play to the level of your goals no matter what they are. And um, again, I started running in June of 2020 with a two-mile run. June of 2020 with a two mile run. So it's been about 18 months of running and we just finished the hundred. So I just think anybody can really do it, man. And I'm just should be an example of that, that not an exceptional athlete started running 18 months ago. Um, just showed up for every workout when it was hard, just showed up when I didn't want to show up. And, uh, that's really what I think, man. I appreciate everyone following this along. I want to get the next movie ready. Physically, I have not set another goal yet. But whatever it is, it's going to be harder or it's going to be a little more daunting. I do know sometime before I'm 30, I'd like to hike Mount Everest. That's like my big thing. I definitely want to hike Mount Everest. Uh, I know. You're nuts. I get it. Anyway, that's my big physical goal is do Everest at some point. Now, that was almost 40 minutes of podcast. Again, guys, I'm going to drop the video on Sunday. The video, I think, will be a little more engaging and more entertaining. But I figured uh, this is has more This has more information in there about how to kind of run a 100-mile ultra. So I ended up doing it in 31 hours and 58 seconds. I could not have done it without D. could not have done it without Jack, my mom, or Matt. And um, I appreciate you guys listening to these podcasts for real. Now, all of my brethren... Uh, I see y'all back against the wall and making rash decisions Too busy watching movies with niggas in the kitchen Yeah, this flow a new edition, call it Michael Bivens Niggas want be in the playoffs, but end up going fishing It's a shame in 10 years, y'all gon' see the difference
Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter.